Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Cyber Critics website. It is time for episode 112, and also time to answer some of the dozens of questions left by whatnots over at savagecritic.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I tackle what scientists would call a whole heap of questions, resulting in discussions on topics like Spider-Man, Ditko or Romita, bagels we have known and loved, the current lineups of 2000 AD, Shonen Jump Digital and The Phoenix, the darkness at the heart of Batman Incorporated, Waffles, Star Wars, A New Hope, Web Comics, Superior Spider-Man, Retweeting, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and as ever, much, much more. Show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com for your edification, and as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Graham? Hello, Jeff Lester, with the incredibly sensitive microphone that when I answered, I just heard thud. Well, I did this amazing job of remembering at the last minute that the um, I had to turn on the uh, the microphone as opposed to the external uh, the, the internal microphone, which was awesome. Got everything set up. Called you and realized I had plugged my headset into the microphone uh, and oh, that I would be unable good. to hear you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I'm start, very proud of myself. Start as we mean to go on. <laughs> Talking about starting, Jeff. I'd like to put you on hold for a second and oh. offer a, a particular address to a particular listener, if I may. Please. Robert G. Firstly, you're right. We didn't introduce Misfits last week, and we really should have, uh, because we just talked about it, thinking that everyone else would know. You're t- totally right. Misfits is a British television show that sort of is part satire, part... Um, Embrace of the superhero genre, I think is fair to say, Jeff. Would mm-hmm. you agree? I would think so. Um, that has a pretty good first couple of seasons and then begins to trail off reasonably to the horrifically uh, <laughs> in the third and fourth season. Jeff was talking about the fourth season, and that is why he was so negative towards it. Uh, I can see that many people may have thought that we were literally just complaining about something that no one knew anything about. And I'm sorry, that really was kind of shitty of us. Um, But the other thing I want to say to Robert is, you might just want to skip this episode, because we're going to try and finish the questions. (laughs) And if you hate them, I just want to tell you that right now. Yes. Uh, We'll, you know... Fingers crossed, because Jeff and I really want to really want to have these out of the way as well. This will be the last one, and then you could listen next week without hating us. Yeah. Uh, but this week you may hate us. Although so, I have to admit, there's a lot of stuff I also want to talk about too. So part of me is kind oh, of obsessed so, with this Tristram Shandy-like project where we never finish talking about <laughs> the questions. Ever. No, we're going to Jeff. I know, I know, I know. My priorities are in the wrong place. Oh, God, no, we're definitely going to finish the questions, Jeff. I'm going to say definitely. I mean, really, hopefully, God knows we'll probably get two done. Agreed. But still. Yeah, yeah but we're hoping to. Absolutely. Anyway, Robert, genuinely, uh, yeah, we kind of fucked up the Misfits conversation last week, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to do questions this week, so I'm sorry again. <laughs> that that That's my introduction. To everyone else, hiya. <laughs> Hello. Um, yes, Graham, howdy. Uh, I feel like uh, it's it's such a shame because I really was going to, as soon as you were done with that, particularly the part where you mentioned the questions, I was like, so what do you think of Superior Spider-Man number one, Graham? You know, and just, <laughs> just throw us uh, off. Okay, Superior Spider-Man number one. Jeff, mm-hmm. let, let's be honest. Isn't it great that Superior Spider-Man 
and that whole storyline is like an amalgam of DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, like the whole Spider-Man is, you know, let's get rid of Peter Parker and give you a badass Spider-Man and make you realize why they suck is a trial Batman, right? Mm-hmm. And now, spoilers for everyone who hasn't read Spider-Man, the last page of it is like, hey, it's Firestorm, everyone. <laughs> I know, that last page was just, oh, it's such a shame, isn't it? Although, you know, I have to say, I kind of had that feeling where I put it down, uh, the issue finished it up, and I thought, maybe this could have worked with a different artist. Uh, I don't really mean to, you know, I, I, it's a shame in the comics industry that it seems like writers get so much of the praise and artists get so much of the blame. Um, it's It's distinctly unfair. And yet... I really did feel that, although I thought Umberto Ramos's um, pencils were kind of rushed and um, sketchy, I I honestly thought that he kind of had a huge leg up on the oh, pencils Ryan, going Ryan's, on here. As we said, Ryan Stegman is getting so much praise for his art in Spirit Spider-Man number one, mm-hmm. and I don't see it. Okay. I'm like, huh, okay, so I guess that's great art. It It seems to me like... All right, art or I, you know, I had scenes during the fight scenes where I had to like sort of relook at a panel because I had missed what was going on and the the continuity of the action scene got fucked up for me. Did that did that happen to you? Oh yeah, but I'm he, here's the terrible thing. I kind of take that as red with an awful lot of like it really has become that if you're looking for well choreographed fight scenes. Mm-hmm likely to not find it in comics than you are to find it these days mm, mm, yeah it is true the, i think the norm really has become here are a bunch of guys jumping out towards the reader mm-hmm. repeatedly yeah you know and, and maybe though maybe there will be a three-quarter shot mm-hmm. where they're punching or kicking each other but otherwise they'll be like jumping out or throwing something towards the reader you know, it's kind of yeah. fascinating that you mentioned that because, A, you're absolutely right, and I noticed it a ton here. Uh, and, B, as as I mentioned to you uh, in the email before we started this, I was like six weeks behind on Shonen Jump Alpha. And yeah. so I actually spent the last couple of days reading six weeks worth of Shonen Jump Alpha. And it's amazing to me how uh, the artist who does One Piece consistently does the same sort of dimensional coming at you hijinks um but he does them in a completely different way he always does them as a um you know it seems like a lot of uh, action scenes for the american comics will have that like things are coming right at you but it's like that in sort of every panel and the thing that i think that is brilliant about uh one piece and I've seen the other, it seems like the other books in Shonen Jump, like uh, Naruto and Bleach have taken this on as well, and probably did it before uh, One Piece did, but is the impact, when they actually have the impact, what used to, you know, what in American comics used to be the, you know, Jack Kirby slug with the person flying, you know, basically head first backwards towards the reader, is done in this super amazingly dimensionally contorted style. Like they, he literally sort of takes the 2D plane and then breaks it into a 3D plane for the impact of it. And it's kind of stunning. And it's one of those like tricks that 
always works, even though there are times when I'm literally like, wait, I don't understand quite. I'm looking at somebody's foot kicking somebody's head. I can't quite tell because it seems to be taking place over the course of three miles. Um, so there's times when that style really works, but I kind of feel like I sort of feel like uh, that the way American artists are using it and relying on it is kind of um, not effective. Well, one of the reasons it's not effective is American comics, uh, this is not, I'm making a terrible blanket statement here, but a lot of American comic artists are really bad at setting a scene. They don't understand the concept of there being a space Yes, that the, the stories are taking place within. So when you have lots of people just continually jumping out towards the reader, mm-hmm. and then you cut to a three-quarter shot, and there isn't really any background, or the background is a wall, Right. it's really hard to have a concept of the space that everything's taking place in right it's it's, it just it just becomes a series of shots mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with with no story to them which is also why i feel that um the whole trick of characters that used to shrink and grow in comics is so hard to do now because i feel like it's so hard for most artists to convey a sense of scale that so many of the older school uh traditional artists seem to be able to do and start with oh totally yeah it's but i mean you have that uh, one of the problems with the art in superior Mm spider-man is that stegman is this really his rendering is really odd Mm -hmm. like if you look beyond the the line work i guess Mm -hmm. uh because he has like he's a big fan of um using 12 lines where one would do Mm -hmm. uh but his drawing is actually very his construction is very cartoony, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like it just the characters don't seem to interrelate because of that. I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have like either ridiculously proportioned muscly characters, mm-hmm. uh, or you have like the fat character <laughs> who is. But you know what I mean? Like who's like so bizarrely round mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Or you have the the woman characters, all of whom seem to be be, be about the breasts. Right, the breasts, and then some significant confusion about anything else. You know, there's it's a lot of it's they're they're literally sketchy. You know, um, it's kind of it's kind of a shame. Well, anyway, so yeah, I I Spare Spider Man number one I thought was just we uh, were both pretty uh, underwhelmed. A misfire, can we say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was writing to somebody. I think probably the person who was who was kind enough to forward me the code to the issue. Or, no, maybe it was someone who tried – the next person who tried to forward me the code for the issue, and I told them that I already had it. We we swapped some emails. Take it back. I think I think it was Ben Lipman, the first person. Um, I was I would have been much more amused, I think, by the book or interested if it had been Doc Ock trying to talk like Peter Parker and failing as opposed to clearly, clearly talking about um, – Trying, try, sounding like Doctor Octopus. You yeah, know what I mean? It sort of immediately breaks the the idea. Like it breaks the story because you think that someone would be like, "What the fuck is wrong with?" Yeah, you? what is wrong with? Yeah, and I, I assume maybe there's I a scene nuts. like that that's coming up, but it's written so over the top. Whereas I sort of feel like, in a weird way, if you're trying to talk like today's youth and you're no longer today's youth, you kind of fuck it up and you get it wrong in a way that the majority of us on the internet, I feel like could really empathize with, you know? So 
Um, I, I it's just just not not good. It's a, it's a weird idea for a relaunch. That being said, I should mention that I thought your idea that you posited on blog at Newsarama as to where this was going is a really good is a really good one. So um, the short version of that, and I think it's actually going to be on the main site, mm-hmm. or, or maybe Saturday, is um, I think it's a stealth reboot. I I think this whole Superior Spider-Man thing is a way of reintroducing the idea that the public hasn't does not accept Spider-Man as a hero. Mm-hmm. So he gets kicked out of the Avengers, like the the general public turns on him again because right. Octopus as Spider-Man does lots of fucking shady things. Right. Um, and so when Peter Parker ends up as Spider-Man again, he's back to square one. Mm-hmm. He's back to where no one really knows whether they should trust him. Right. Uh, and he is public enemy number one again. And it's essentially like a very long, like year long arc. Mm-hmm. There, which kind of works for me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like a lot of dance lot stories, works for me so much more in the abstract than in the execution. <laughs> that is true. That is that is sadly very true. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just it, it seemed like a I don't know. It I I was like I said, I saw lots of people giving Ryan Stegman props to this. I saw lots of people being really positive about this issue, and I don't see why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just it made me feel very out of touch with today's readership, Jeff. Today's youth. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As well, you should be, uh, seeing as you're an evil scientist trapped in the body of a uh, young twenty-something. Dolt. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfectly delivered. Okay, uh, so. With that out of the way, my goodness, that was such a remarkably concise way of talking things. I'm like, I can't quite drag it. Uh, oh, I read, uh, I read New Avengers number one. The, I, what, what did you think? Um, I thought that it was. How do I put this? Well, for one thing, it was really, really good for a Black Panther comic. I think the problem is is to pick that to pick it up as an Avengers book, you know, and the timing and the pacing on it was bad. Like seriously, that is, I mean, admittedly, the whole thing with Grant Morrison's little like gamesmanship of like, hey, you get to the end and you realize why I was doing what I was doing at the beginning is something that I, I apparently don't have a lot of patience for. But if you've got your first page of Reed Richards saying stuff without any goddamn context whatsoever and then you don't really see reed richards again until you get to the end of things uh, it, it it parts of it looked beautiful i'm always fascinated by steve epting too because there's parts in of his work that look absolutely gorgeous and brilliant in in like sort of a hey that's sort of classic marvel as i remember it and looking kind of svelte and sleek kind of thing and then inevitably his actual people characters, you know, people without full body masks tend to look kind of clumsy and awkward and um, static, you know? So He's a very weird artist, though, isn't he? He really is. He I really mean, I, is. I feel the same thing happens in his Captain America, where you'd, you'd have on the same page, mm-hmm. like a panel which would just be perfect. Yeah. Followed by a panel that would seem like it was drawn for someone else because it would just be so incredibly lifeless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, completely, completely. And it's it's interesting. I don't know if it's the sort of thing where he spends a lot of time figuring 
like like he figures out how to make certain scenes dynamic and then he you know but it's not really his strong suit so he can't quite do that all the way through or how it works but um fascinating to me and and overall i do think that there's a level of like i started off reading new avengers without much expectation and then of course i thought he had a really kind of great grasp on the black panther and some of the ways they were doing stuff that all seemed awesome until it turned kind of dumb and nonsensical and then by the end had that weird you know um Hickman does that you know the I realized after the fact that his uh his uh, Avengers book the other first issue of the Avengers really you know all-star Superman the shit out of things you know for that first issue um and I kind of felt like at the end he got there too like okay here's the scene where I create the awe of these people showing up and then I'm like uh, I don't know. I guess it was just a trick I was too exposed to. Plus, there's a point where he's like, he talks about like one of the characters being the devil, and you don't see that character in the shot. I don't think so. I was kind of you see the character like you see smile in the shot at the, the far right of the panel. Oh, is that is that what's going on on there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But it's again, it's actually really hard to know that that's who it is because if you just look at the panel you'd think that the devil would be the character holding the gun right next to the caption mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's it's too smart a panel mm-hmm. if that's the layout you're going to do you have to work out some way to knock the other knock three characters in the background into the background mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. That, as it is namer is so absent from that picture yes and other three are so present yeah yeah but unless you're looking for the white guy in that picture <laughs> you, but that's what it is like you have to know that the devil himself means namer the mm-hmm. namer is white and therefore it's the guy who's smiling who isn't really in the panel right yeah it's it's just too smart yeah well and i think there was that i think there was that idea of like well let's give each character sort of a a bit of mystique and how do we do that and it kind of felt like they they kind of screwed the pooch on that and uh yeah i just i just thought it was I thought it was really clumsy. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I kind of knew what he was going for, but I don't think he hit any of the marks that he really set out for himself. I don't think so, apart from like, oh, Black Panther is back to being kind of a quasi-interesting character. But, I mean, I really had this weird feeling of like, also, it's so deja vu-y compared to the first issue of his other Avengers title, you know? Yeah, do you not think that's intentional, though? Do you not think they're meant to parallel each other? I... That was what I took with the 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 um the aliens slash villains whatever who are trying to remake the planet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the final page reveal mm-hmm. i was like oh he's he's trying to he's trying to make a connection between the two he is that, but that could that could be me being overly charitable well no no i think you're right but then i kind of had this thing of like well but it can't be happening at the same time because tony stark's a prisoner up on the moon or mars on the other book and well this is this is my problem with marvel now in general like this story clearly happens before at least avengers Mm -hmm. and probably the iron man book as well Mm -hmm. it definitely happens before fantastic four because reed richards is there and reed richards is out off in space somewhere in fantastic four right but captain america is wearing his old outfit Uh... which takes place before Mm -hmm. avengers right but it's like but it comes out after, you know what I mean? Like it's it's such a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. They are making you work for like, wait, when does this happen? 
Right. Which honestly for Marvel is not um not such a stellar game plan. It's not really like they've engendered a lot of trust over the years with their utterly reliable shipping scheduling rate. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I just I thought it was I thought it was a misfire. I really did not. I think I think that's the second time I said that. I think I said yeah, I think that right. about the other book as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, oh, you yeah, know what I thought neither, was surprisingly a non misfire was uh, all new X Men number five. I think is that the latest one that just yes. took wait. Came out? You're saying that's not a misfire? I kind of thought it was okay. Maybe I'm wrong on that front. <laughs> I kind of liked it. Does that mean I'm wrong? I must that, be. Did you? That's the confidence. I know, isn't it? Like, look at me. No, I mean, I did. I liked it. I kind of, but I just sort of assumed you would be like, yeah, absolutely, it was okay. But uh, I'm sensing that maybe that's uh, not the case. It was one of it was one of if not the strongest issues of the series so far. Yes. But I am. Um, I just was left with it's taken us five issues to get here. Yeah. And also the 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 Jean Grey speech does not follow through to me again like so much of the series it's she's saying this because brian michael bendis needs us to believe this for the series right right yeah uh, i i just didn't get the well now that i've seen that i die i've changed my mind and i want to stay here and change the future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just it didn't ring true to me at all again it looks lovely but and it was it was taken in and of itself it was fine. Mm-hmm. The beast thing is a bit of a retcon that kind of niggles, but it yeah. is. Although for some reason, how do I put this? It maybe that was the part that weren't weren't won me over was the idea that Brian Bendis had actually bothered to do enough back reading to retcon something. I suppose as to sort of oblitcon stuff, you know. So I don't know. I was kind of. Maybe it helps that I skipped an issue and I'd sort of forgotten about it and someone sort of passed it along. But weirdly enough, I kind of, like I said, I, I just kind of liked it. I sort of liked whatever's being seated there for the Kitty Pride, Hank McCoy love thing that might happen and some of the other stuff. It was like, it was all right. It was all right. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I know. I, I... I was entirely cold to it, to be honest. But I, I think that's possibly because I was just, I don't know, worn out on it anyway. It could, it, well, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, honestly, I've thought, I've only read three of the other four issues, and I thought each one of those issues was essentially a train wreck of one kind or another. So it could well be, like when I opened this up, it literally was a sense of like, oh, God. And then when I finished it, it was kind of like, oh, I kind of, yeah, maybe I'm almost buying this thing on its own terms kind of thing, sort of, maybe. So, yeah, I liked it. Oh, and Stuart Eminen's art was pretty nice in this one, too. So Yeah, I, th- I think Eminen continually is the, the most valuable player on yeah. this title. Yeah. It's, he's it's, going to be missed. Even though David Marquez is a great artist, he's definitely going to be missed in the next few issues. Oh, is he cut, jumping off after this first arc or whatever? Yeah, but he's back on by like nine or something. Mm. He's just off the next arc. Like soaking his hands in enormous buckets of ice. Um, well, he's, he's turning this stuff out. He is. Oh my God! Yes, that's. Well, so anyway, Graham. So, any other? <laughs> any other? So wait, sh- should we do questions, or should we try and just like rush through the everything else we read this week really, uh, really quickly? Yeah, I think so. Let's let's do that, and then talk news, and then maybe get to the questions. And by maybe, I mean definitely. And when I say the questions, I mean all of the questions. So yeah, what else? What else did you read? 
Uh, let's see, action 16. Oh, yeah. Ooh, so hmm, digitally, or did you get to the store, or was it sent to you? I got to the store. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's like the middle third of a story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there's little introduction <coughs> or resolution. I am... Um, I don't want to spoil it for you because mm-hmm. I know you've, you've not read it, but I am fascinated by the fact that Morrison is working with seemingly an entirely different Legion of Superheroes than the one that is in the Legion of Superheroes comic. Really? Yes. Oh. And at first I thought it's the future Legion of Superheroes, but then a character appears who is a snake, who in the regular title is not a snake. <laughs> and that's when you know that it's a different version of the characters. Indeed. Um, it's all right. It's very much a middle chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it and so a lot, a lot is going on, and maybe too much. Mm-hmm. I think he's rushing through things right. a bit too quickly in order to get to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is is that seventeen or eighteen? Sixteen. Uh, seventeen is the is the final issue for Morrison. Oh, so it that, is. That's the issue. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. Um, and one of the loveliest things though is Chris Browse draws the backup, which is a Legion of Superheroes story by Shirley Fish mm-hmm. and it's just lovely I mean it's mm. just beautiful stuff mm. uh, Chris Bryce and Carl Story penciler and inker and Jordi Belair is the artist is the color artist and it is lovely Chris Sprouse is such a good, strong, clean artist he would be such I mean once you said that I'm like oh yeah what a nice pick for the Legion oh yeah. wait you see it's it's lovely I mean mm. he, he got his start in Legion I want to say did, did he? He, de- okay. he definitely did Legion at some point I, I hate to, to during the five year later thing, but oh, interesting! He did Legion before. Uh, uh. I um, I yeah. did not track him until Tom Strong, really. So he yeah, Chris Bryce is a great artist, and he does a really good Legion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman Incorporated number six, which you read last week, and I only read this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reread all of Batman Incorporated. I told you this in email. Yes, you did. Yeah, I'm uh, fascinated, uh, and by that you mean. Both both I mean, runs. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me. Really fascinating to me how different the second series is from the first series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how important Chris Burnham is as an artist. Oh God, yeah. Because the because Batman Incorporated now has turned into kind of a horror series. Mm. Such a claustrophobic feel to it. Mm-hmm. There is such a feel that Batman is overwhelmed and will lose. Mm-hmm. I mean know that he won't it's grant morrison writing a batman story he's right. clearly not going to lose yeah but every time that it seems that batman is one step ahead of leviathan mm-hmm. something will happen to really fuck that up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by issue six and you have batman like issue five is batman's big victory and issue six is oh no he's totally fucked and by the way we've just killed off the night right and it's so bleak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and ends in such a bleak way as well even though like in almost any other comic, Batman being thrown through a window would be like, he, he, you know, Batline, he'll batarang his way out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like so dark mm-hmm. that you really are like, holy shit, mm-hmm. how, how can things get worse? This is so horrible. <laughs> uh, and I can't imagine Yannick Piquet drawing that. Oh, I true. Can, true, I true, can true. Only imagine Chris, well, not only imagine Chris Burnham, but Chris Burnham has taken control of the the book's tone so much. Oh, yeah. That even when you get Fraser Irving doing the, the flashback in issue zero, it seems weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chris Burnham has such a, a particular style, which is simultaneously sort of cartoony cute and off enough 
to make oh, you feel yeah. like something is wrong. Yeah, it's it's really good for the off kilter stuff, uh, and of course, it's some of the storytelling chops are just phenomenal. In fact, um, do you, would you say that Batman Incorporated feels more like a t- continuation of Morrison's Batman and Robin rather than you know the early period of Batman Incorporated? The curtain, you mean? Yeah, the I, curtain. I would curtain. say right now it feels like more of a continuation of the Black Love. Mm, interesting. Right. Uh, again, in the sense of the heroes are trying their best and they are pure, quote unquote, but yeah. they are also going to lose. Mm. See, that's funny. I kind of had that sense of doom and foreboding hanging over uh, when when Batman and Robin launched, you know, with Professor Pig and everything. It all seemed really pretty dark to me. So, um, but See, I, I, didn't, I found Batman and Robin very... Um, positive and very pop hmm. interesting bad guys if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i had little doubt that the good guys would prevail mm. and it's this weird thing because you know the batman's going to win he just will right but there really is a sense of dread in batman incorporated these days and hmm. it's funny it reads really well together oh yeah and seeing things that like i feel that especially if you read it all in a winner mm-hmm got the um issue five of the original run which mm-hmm. i think is the the oh god what's the story it's just the issue where it's essentially here's the global scale of batman incorporated for the first time sorry it's oh, issue yeah. six issue six right uh and it's called like nictomorph or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, well remembered me um and it's the they look at how global everything is and then you go from that to the second half of the leviathan strikes mm-hmm uh, and then to the, I think the third issue of this current run, mm-hmm. give you sort of the jump back from what Batman is doing to more like here's what the bigger picture is. Mm-hmm. Every time they do it, it's really creepy. Mm. Issue three, where it's it's um, basically we have been kidnapping people and replacing them with Leviathan. Mm-hmm. Never explained what's going on, whether they're brainwashing them, whether they're replacing them with clones. All you know is people are disappearing, and when they reappear. They are faithful to Leviathan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really disturbing about that. Mm-hmm. And then for those people to show up again in issue six and to be killed, mm. to just be like utterly sacrificed. Right. It's really, really nihilistic. The part where uh, Batman says, What does he say? He says something like, What have you ever done for the poor? Mm-hmm. And Talia's response is, I, gave, I give them guns and slogans to chant. Mm hmm. I mean, that's just... Last week we were talking about Morrison seeing shades of grey and everything. Right. Not in this. In this, evil is absolute. Huh. It's interesting. Because it, I always feel like... Hmm, how do I, I... I feel like his Batman run overall is, despite the stuff that we're talking about, the shades of grey, seems to push much harder for that that absolute evil. Even more so than... I mean, Final Crisis definitely had that going on, as I think, as we did discuss last week. Um, although I think I was super equivocating on, but like from Batman, pretty much by the time Batman R.I.P. or the Black Glove gets going and keeps going, it's all about stages of darkness. And so I kind of feel like because Morrison only has like the trick that he keeps doing over and over again and calling attention to which is 
that Batman always wins no matter how dark it is. He always has to take the next storyline and make it even darker, you know, so that you really think, oh, but this time he's really not going to do it, which admittedly supposedly is, is you know, Superhero Comics 101. But the, the way Morrison does it, um, yeah, the stuff does get more bleak and, and nihilistic seeming. Um, but I kind of, I'm never sure if that's Morrison or if that's just Morrison going, well, this is how I have to up the stakes because I've already had Batman, you know, beat the devil. So. But I mean, it, even that is kind of fascinating to me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that the Batman, the Batman can beat the devil mm -hmm. and that is not the ultimate evil. Mm. That the ultimate evil is 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 people's ability to be misled and mm. people's ability to believe in the wrong things and what they will do for those wrong things. Right. Just seems incredibly dark, especially for Morrison. Hmm. I feel like if you look at Batman as a zealot, mm -hmm. and I think that, I think Morrison's reading is definitely that Batman is a zealot, mm -hmm. which is good. Because you even have the stuff at the beginning of Batman Incorporated, and even before then, the Batman the Return one shot. Yeah, the idea of crime with the idea of Batman, mm -hmm. and so you have Batman as a cause. Yes, you have Batman as an ideal and not as a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Bruce Wayne is the Batman zealot, right? To right. then, to then have that flipped with here zealots for for the anti-Batman. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. A really interesting thing to do with this series, but also really, really depressing, really dark and heavy stuff to deal with. Mm. Stuff that I think goes beyond the the cartoonishness and the the knowing pop of the early Batman Incorporated issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I, 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 when you read it all in a one, I, it, the funny thing is also there's no immediate tone change mm -hmm. like it continually gets darker as a series yeah that i can that i can believe arc now mm -hmm. that if you hear the first issue mm -hmm. the issue now it's it's amazing mm -hmm. yeah i can just imagine huh well i have to say you make some brilliant points about the book that i don't think that i would have seen uh, and I'm still somewhat a little uh, ambivalent about giving Morrison full credit for, even though I think everything that you're saying is very much in line with what he was doing thematically leading up to Batman Incorporated. So I think I, I think you're I think you're probably right. But an interesting thought experiment for me is, especially after rereading them all, mm -hmm. would Morrison have been able to do this without Burnham? Mm. I don't think he would. I think Burnham is bringing so much to the book with his art. Oh, completely. Completely. So much, I think so much of the dread mm -hmm. that I think even if Morrison was writing exactly the same scripts and Yanni Piquet was drawing it, it would be an entirely different book and a much more surface one, a much more facile one. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, no, I, th I think Burnham is, um, yeah, he, he just kind of draws... Uh, squiggly discomfort really well you know like really really well that's why that that whole man of bats issue is just such a dark heartbreaker you know what i mean like he really he knows how to wrap his way around squalor um and it's amazing that he can jump between sort of squalor and misery and pain to kind of like hey pop you know 
weird cartoony touches that are just kind of amazing you know like i would be shocked if like in the return of matches malone if morrison was like yeah when he, you know matches strikes a match we want to see the you know reflection of the batman thing in his glasses you know like that that just struck me as a step too far that was brilliant that it was what was needed so yeah i think burnham is it'll be really interesting to see what happens to burnham after this now that i think about it you know because he is he is a really good match with morrison but you know morrison's only got like another you know half dozen issues on this yeah oh i i would be i simultaneously think that dc would be insane to let burnham go but i also can't think what burnham would do at dc that would be worth reading well, you know, they might they might really dig him. They might like his work enough that they're like, okay, well, you, you get to step up. But, you know, I don't really think that my version of him stepping up is not like, like, hey, you get to take over drawing the Dark Knight with, uh, for Paul Jenkins. Isn't that awesome? You're going to be doing a Paul Jenkins script, you know. It's like, exactly. Like, I'd, I'd much rather see him. I mean, if he ended up seeing a DC, I'd much rather see him on Vertigo something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really, I'd much rather see him go off and do greater and, and and do whatever follow his bliss that way yeah i i kind of i feel the same i don't feel i i would be surprised if he feels established enough to be able to make that jump since he's still so relatively I, new but it, what i predict is he'll go to marvel i i think marvel will steal him oh interesting interesting do some do whatever marvel normally does which is like hey we've got this great new artist and so he's going to be doing avengers academy <laughs> <laughs> going to do like a two-issue fill-in on Wolverine the X-Men. Exactly. And then, like, you know, two years later, you'll forget that he was awesome. Yeah. Because I feel, I feel like uh, Marvel really does that with artists, that so they can't quite get to fit. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. <laughs> Hooray! That wasn't depressing yeah. at all. Okay, I'm going to get through my other comics really quick. Cool. Uh, Buffy First Layer issue 17 was fine. It's it's the middle of an arc, and it's like, sure, this is okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait till the end of the arc and see how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Earth 2 issue 8 is terrible. Really? <laughs> wow. Um, I totally see where, what he's going, what James Robinson's going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just all seems gratuitous. <laughs> and it's a shame, because the idea of the issue, which is basically that when Darkseid attacked Earth 2 in the first place and then was forced to retreat, he accidentally left Steppenwolf behind. Mm-hmm. And so Steppenwolf has become a badass who, in this issue, takes over a country. Huh. Uh, but he does so with the help of Wonder Woman's daughter, who he is either brainwashed or won over some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it's a fine concept, I guess. <laughs> but the execution is is just not there for me at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it it just seemed very um, cynical mm-hmm. and, and very much like, th- this is what they want. Right. Uh, so, I it, yeah, it just it did not ring true for me at all. Uh, Fantastic Four issue three was also horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about things that are horrible. Yeah, but that's where issue three is. Even though I was like, I'm going to stay on for the first arc, I have a suspicion that the first arc of Fantastic Four is actually going to be a year long. Mm. And I'm not going to stick around for that. Interesting. Based on this issue, like, this is definitely the worst issue of the series so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and has had things that just had me 
just confused. Like, apparently the thing can breathe and talk in space. Huh. Yeah. And I, I don't, like, I just, I just didn't get it. Right. Um, and, like, the issue starts with Ben Grimm in a really bad mood and characters even comment on him in a really bad mood. Mm-hmm. Ends. And there's no, like, explanation for it. Right. Mm. Like, it's not followed up. It's like, he's in a bad mood. Uh, ben Grimm also talks in bold for the majority of the comic mm. for no reason whatsoever. Mm. Is he supposed to be shouting or something? Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's full of just random weirdness <laughs> like that. It seems really. We talked before about comics seeming like first drafts. Mm-hmm. Yes, it feels like a first draft that desperately needed someone to step in and be like what is actually happening here right for almost all the issue right um it it's it felt more than anything like a comic that suffers for the speed of the process at marvel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've got pictures out this month so look that that's good enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah this it it would it just did not work uh also uh mark bagley never my favorite artist uh manages to make Franklin, who is meant to be, what, 10 or something? Uh. Look just like Johnny Storm. (laughs) (laughs) What's your times? Which one was talking? (laughs) That was helpful. So let me ask you, the the first arc of of Fantastic Four is, is it this with them getting, like, their in-dimension excitement or something, or...? have left the earth um to to see what's out there mm-hmm. um, for the good of the kids they've taken the kids away for essentially a year's long a year-long sabbatical mm-hmm. um something i discovered through looking at the ar extra material on fantastic four which i hadn't done is the AR the AR material actually explains the plot that the <laughs> Like hasn't explained. Oh no, that's not. That is so. That that so brings back awful memories of fear itself. Uh, I, I fraction talk, mm-hmm. and I was oh, that makes a lot of sense. You've never said that in the comic. Oh, in the comic, you have seen that Mister Fantastic's cell structure is breaking down. Yes, right, right. Which is that weird? He's made of unstable molecules thing that just sounded as yes. scratchy. In the AR material, my mm-hmm. fraction says that all of their cells are breaking down. It's not just Mr. Fantastic, it's the entire team. Oh. That's a result of the cosmic rays, which has never been mentioned in the comic itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he spoiled his own comic. He probably has. Or at some point they forgot to tell you. I have a sneaking suspicion that the whole like, oh, Ben's being weird and is speaking in bold may be the, the first signs that it's the entire team. And who knows, maybe that's God help us if he's actually angling for that as the end of issue six, you know, but... Give it away in his own extra fe- additional features. Yes, that would be a problem. Um, yeah, it was just... Uh, it, was, it was not good. Um, and again, he's faced with the problem of characters not talking like themselves. Everyone is saying pear-shaped, which I found particularly amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Why uh, Mr. Fantastic is talking to the thing and he's like, everything's gone pear-shaped down here. And the thing's response is, Reed, you ain't even seen pear-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> he 
hilarious and horrific in equal amounts. Oh, that's terrible. Aerobatish 5. Uh, I really liked. I I really enjoyed it. It is essentially Tony Stark versus Warren Ellis. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, in a way that is both affectionate Warren Ellis and I think maybe Greg Land took the art, took the Directions a little too literally as he is as he want. Yeah. Um, essentially, it's Tony Stark facing off against an old friend who is a futurist who believes in the potential of technology even more than Tony Stark, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and does makes bad decisions because of that. Mm. Uh, I really liked it. I, I really, I think this is the one, this is the issue that convinced me that uh, Kieran Gillen has a handle on. Not so much the character as much as the direction of the book mm-hmm. um, that I really appreciated. Hmm. Uh, Greg Land's art is, continues to be very weird, and I still wish that he had a, a different inker. Mm. Um, and I also think the color is, coloring is strong for him as well. But, but I'm I'm at the point now where I've kind of gotten used to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, okay, so this is how Iron Man looks now. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, because the, the writing has writing has at this point sucked me in well that's great happily on board iron man now hmm. i am i have uh people have passed along issues four and five i admit to have not having read them um i can't even remember what issue four was now hang on i would look it up because issue five i think you should definitely check out mm-hmm. right now Gillen's listening to shouting he's like it's the th- the issue where Are you idiots is oh it's a horror issue yeah you should read that huh okay um yeah issue five issue five was a was the decider for me which is good because it was also the issue where i was like it's make or break right uh, it's like i am fairly definitively making excellent it would, it would be the strongest issue of the, the run so far oh good oh good so let me ask you um you tend to be fading out at the beginning of your sentences a little bit. Uh, and we've been talking for 45 minutes. I don't know if we want to jump and come back and or I don't know how your Internet's been doing. Um, we jump and I will restart my Internet. Why don't we jump and you give me like five minutes and then call me back? OK, that sounds fabulous. I will talk to you in five and we will attack. Yes, attack these questions and other books that you've read. Not There's two, so yes, in a second. We'll be back in a second, listeners. Won't be five minutes for you. That's right, exactly. second installment of Graham talks about his comics instead of answering the questions oh god are we ever going to get to the questions <laughs> yes with, welcome back with me today the Star Wars comic next to me <laughs> hey, did you read Star Wars issue one no I did not as you may remember I was very excited about this mm-hmm. 
and and then I read it. Mm. Um, you know what I like about Star Wars, and by which I mean the first film, not like the franchise. Although the franchise too, but really specifically the first film. What? It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's a funny film. Mm-hmm. There are moments of just dumb, silly humor in it. Right. Do you know what's not in Star Wars issue one? Mm-hmm. Any comedy. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing that Princess Leia is badass and can fly an X-Wing and then goes and hunts down a TIE fighter that she shoots down so that she can kill the pilot. That's great. <laughs> With to have eh, no humor in the comic at all. Yeah. It, it was really a problem for me. I always thought, and this is this is bad because you, you're putting me in a tough situation here because I've try my best and i don't necessarily even know why but i try my best not to shit talk brian wood like his, his... <laughs> oh but even just saying that i think you've you've fallen you're you've fallen short of your yeah yeah no i know exactly so uh, you know it's the suffice it to say his work doesn't really work for me. I just, it doesn't really gel in a way that I like. And like, I've read some stuff by him enough generally to know it's not my bag. <clears throat> and to kind of, because there seems to be enough people who do like his work, just kind of chalk it up to the, okay, not for me, go with God, et cetera, et cetera. Also, let's face it, Brian Wood will harangue you if you, if you, uh, you know, sort of, talk ill of him so not not in any sort of like trolley way but in a very insistent no 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 i'm i'm a serious writer and i'm doing serious work kind of stuff he struck me as a terrible choice to to write star wars for just that reason you know well, that's that's the interesting thing he struck me as a fascinating choice for that reason mm, mm-hmm. i was like i can't imagine this mm-hmm I find that really interesting to me. Yeah, I and, and reading the first issue, it was the because it doesn't. I don't think it reads like a Brian Wood comic, quote unquote, either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's definitely trying to make, trying to move in the Star Wars direction, mm-hmm. or or at least a different direction from a, a, a traditional Brian Wood comic. Mm-hmm. But it really is like the lack of humor mm-hmm. is is a real real problem for me in this comic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because for me that is one of the main things about Star Wars mm-hmm. Star Wars can be dramatic and daring do and everything it has to be funny at some point right right and it's that's not even true it doesn't even have to be funny it has to have attempts at humor <laughs> right right now, exactly you know what I mean? like George yeah. Lucas comedy is not really funny no, 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 no. It's true. George Lucas does not have, and in fact, one of the things that's great about Star, one of the reasons why that first Star Wars movie is a triumph, it, it is that it is made by. It's like the actors have senses of humor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's really it. Like he casts that movie so well that people like Harrison Ford and uh, Carrie Fisher are able to bring the right moments, particularly Ford, to really make make it shine, you know, um, as as far as any humor attempt goes. He can really, they can, you know, they can carry it off. Um, but yeah, Lucas himself. So I know what you mean. There's kind of like the, can't we get an attempt in here? I don't know. I always find that it's sort of, 
I always feel like so much of Star Wars outside of Star Wars, you know, outside of Lucas's official realm, like maybe that's the reason why I never really got into a lot of it is a lot of it does seem deeply ponderous. It's still very serious. Very, like, very It's epic. And this means we all frown. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that as soon as you fall into that trap, Mm-hmm. And it's fair. I think that actually happened to a lot of Star Trek as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think by the time you got to the next generation, you had the comedy episodes, mm-hmm. and then them taking themselves far too seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And comedy is really important to both of those franchises. Yeah, agreed. Well, or even I would say that part of the reason why I feel that Firefly was ended up being as big a cult hit as it was was because of whedon's ability to go back to star wars and get to the comedy and sort of the roguishness and sort of the the backwoods quality to it you know that made it so exciting or to me like the thing that's great about star wars the first movie is is it all seems to be you're told that all of this stuff is taking place on the fringes and by the time you get to the center of things, you know, it's been blown up and doesn't even exist anymore, you know, and, and that worked really well for that first film. And then sort of as each film kind of goes on, and more and more things gel, you know, but so yeah, it always seems like the Star Wars stuff is always trying to, it's the curse of the license, you know, you're always like trying to tell a story that really matters, you know, and I think that always gets in the way of that can get in the way of what's really great about uh, some of these franchises is when you fall in love with the characters and you love fall in love with the concept and you just want to spend time there. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I actually think I was thinking about this in regards to the Star Trek movie that's coming out. Mm-hmm. That one of the strengths of Star Trek was that there was a new one every week. Mm-hmm. So the stories didn't really matter. Like the stories had to be entertaining for that hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the problem with when you turn it into a movie franchise is the stories all have to matter. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think that's one of the things that's frustrating is, yeah, absolutely. Like, as much as there are good stories in Star Trek, the TV show, and there are, it's like if you had like the little pie chart of how often people talk about that as opposed to how often people talk about the interaction between the characters – you know, it's vastly in favor of character interaction, you know, as well it should be. Um, and I thought the first Star Trek movie really succeeded in beating the odds of having that conveying a sense of characters and character interaction and a degree of sort of wit and pep. You mean the first Abrams one? Right? Sorry, yes, of course. No, okay. the last thing I would be talking about in that regard <laughs> would be like, Star Trek the motion, the motion picture. picture? So sorry. Like, let's. Yeah, five minutes slow motion glide around the That was the worst. Man, talk about a movie that just did not understand. I love Star Trek The Motion Picture because it really showed. I mean, I really do think that was that restarted the franchise because people were like, well, if this could make money, we could make money doing anything with this. You know what I mean? Because it's like they misunderstood their own franchise. They misunderstood what people wanted from science fiction at that point. Like, they misunderstood the post-Star Wars sensibility. To be fair, 80% of the science fiction films coming out after Star Wars did, too. Yeah. They were all like, yeah, you mean, like, 2001, right? It's like, no, 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 Like, Star Wars. (laughs) Exactly the opposite. Yeah, exactly the opposite. All right. So, but... um, Um, 
man. Okay. What did you read this week, Jeff? Good question, Graham. I I read six weeks of Shonen Jump Alpha. Um, uh, most of my, in fact, the I think the vast majority of my reading was was done digitally. I read all new. I read four Marvel titles that uh, whatnots were kind enough to pass along to me. Uh, all new X Men, Spectacular Spider Man, New Avengers, uh, and what was the other one? I was like, oh, I can get this other one right. Oh, Thor, which was quite good. I really uh, think that Thor issue four um, really, like, Aaron is doing the, like, I'm telling a story. The story is coming together, but, you know, a larger story. But there's enough pieces issue by issue that are satisfying. So even though it is the most, like, I am... I could see where I could levy the same argument against it that I argued against New Avengers in the sense of it's clearly just a chapter in a a larger narrative and you're not necessarily sure if some of the things that are happening in it are going to really pay off as much as they should. Um, I can't really make that complaint because Aaron really does make it feel like an enjoyable read uh, and has enough going on in issue per issue that it's kind of like, oh, yeah, there's always sort of one kind of mega cool moment i think Mm -hmm. so i quite like it it's really uh that's that's an impressive sort of achievement it kind of blows my mind that's an issue four already i know well they're all kind of moving quick but or some of them are moving quick like all new x-men is issue five as is iron man you know i mean this started two months ago yeah 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 it's that's just some crazy crazy fast tracking um Shonen Jump Alpha, again, reading weekly comics. Like, this is the thing I, that I should talk about in a larger sense. I'll, I'll mention it with an introduction and then I guess go in with the examples. I'm reading Shonen Jump Alpha. I'm reading 2000 AD. Uh, and uh, thanks to Stephen Williamson and some advice from uh, Jog the Blog, a.k.a. Joe McCulloch, I subscribe to The Phoenix Um the the weekly comic all ages british comic that had just the absolutely amazing like get six months of of weekly comics for like 15 bucks and i was like dude i will give that a try especially after looking at some of the material and um so shonen jump alpha which i've been reading for over a year now is getting becoming more and more the book that i think i want to read like they keep trying more or less they keep throwing things in like i'm just never really going to go with Yu-Gi-Oh. and for the first year it seemed like if something wasn't panning out they were going to throw in another sort of punch em up story and interestingly enough i feel like now because they recently added this uh title uh i think called nisiko uh, Nisikoi, maybe uh, N I S E K O I, which is kind of a um, it's it's pretty much a harem comic, just under you know a slightly different disguise. It's it's a comic about these two teenagers, both of whom are in um, the offspring of Japanese crime families, and because the crime families to avoid going to war to broker a truce, they essentially have set up their two children together. And of course those two hate one another. Um, By the time it debuted in Shonen Jump Alpha online, it had been running for 
about 48 chapters or so so it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like three volumes worth of manga and i guess they threw it in there because it was a hit it's not great but it is it's the kind of manga that i've got a soft spot for which is i'm very much a soft spot for romantic comedies especially god help me where it's like one guy and then like seven women are in love with him to be fair i'm totally okay when it's one woman and seven guys in love with them but i sort of like the multi-option who knows what's going to happen rom-com as opposed to the sort of like you've got two people and it's just inevitable that they're going to end up together like sort of the way that graham morrison does with his batman comics i feel like most uh rom-com manga do a better job of faking you out and thinking like oh but maybe this time you know so that and especially cross manage which i adore which is a lacrosse sports manga that is also a romance comic um is just awesome just awesome so reading all of that plus being sort of into the 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 punch em up manga you know one piece and naruto and bleach where it's like having read them for a year i still am only catching about 50 percent of what's going on in some cases like maybe as high as 80 percent in what in the case of one piece and maybe as low as 40 percent in the case of something like bleach which has been running for years or maybe naruto god i'm fine up until people open their mouths and then it's like so much weird japanese ninja magic tech babble that it's just absolutely incomprehensible to me um but you know throwing Toriko, it's it's been like sitting down over those last three paid three days and being like okay well i've got to read something like 500 pages of manga in order to get caught up entirely entirely pleasant similarly the phoenix which is all ages comics all of that stuff with the exception of um the dino writers of Panagia or whatever it's called which appears to be like a reoccurring serial most of the other stuff um tends to be like as far as I can tell based on like this first issue and the sample issue they have reoccurring characters but they tend to have just sort of done in one stories which are cutesy I enjoyed far more like web comics than all you know like age eight like um okay for all ages web comics than actual kids comics than i would have thought and i think mm. i think that's actually really a great choice and then there's um and then there's 2000 ad which i'm sort of slowly kind of um it's it's kind of weird like the thing about 2000 ad that to me is kind of creepy is i've only been reading it for about three months plus the very small amounts of reading that i've done you know outside of you know like trade collections or whatever and it's shocking how weirdly pro pro proprietary i am about some of the characters you know um not so much i, in I, the... I thought you were gonna say you already have fallen uh prey to the it used to be better when syndrome well there well, I, there is a little bit of that there's also this weird like nostalgia for stuff that i don't actually of stuff i haven't experienced like uh savage is back for an arc now mm. um which I, I'm assuming that you're familiar with. Yes. I, I'm not. And one of the things that really struck me as that I love about it is Patrick Goddard's art so reminds me of a certain style of black and white art that I really like. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's like David Lloyd 
and the guy who drew Modesty Blaze Forever and, you know, a little touch of Alan Davis influence. And it's just like, it's great. I mean, it's not really that great. This, as far as I can tell, this is, um, it's like th- this third installment is, I, I guess Savage's big thing is he, according, the Pat Mills character is he's very good at standing around in kitchens and yelling about what he's not going to do. But, which is an interesting hook for a character, I guess. Um, I, I mean, oh no, maybe that's a, that's something that really speaks to the Brit everyman. But these first three <laughs> chapters have been stunningly dull in that sense. And yet I'm just there going like, oh my God, look at how he drew that turtleneck. That is just awesome. <laughs> awesome. And and um, uh, is it Carlos Esquera who's drawing uh, Strawny Dog? Dog? Yeah. yeah, that looks gorgeous. Oh my God, it looks so, there's something about the coloring on that where I'm like, this, it just looks fantastic. Like it, they're, they're doing something with the colors to prevent Escara from getting that sort of muddy, washed out look that I sort of associate with his art. And it's fantastic. I mean, it really sort of seems like, again, I don't get it. It sort of seems like someone took someone decided to spin off a sitcom from Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall, you know, the the mutant hooker scene. They were like, <laughs> let's make an entire series out of this. And it's like road trips. And it's like, and I'm, I don't really, I'm not sure I, I, I'm getting, I'm not sure that it's either I'm not getting the appeal or it's not quite firing on all cylinders yet. But, but it is, it, you know, in terms of passive entertainment, being able to turn on the iPad once a week and download something and just look at it appreciatively is man it's been enjoyable so i think that's really the main things that i've been doing comic wise um can i tell you one non-comic anecdote that i think is uh uh, interesting Um, sure and then we'll do questions sure so let me tell you graham i wanted to mention because you're the sort of guy who you know you make your living on the internet and you sort of you want some tips, I'm sure, whenever possible, for social media and how to connect. Um, you know, I do, I do, Jeff. I do. I, I Are you going you to give me a tip right now? I am. I'm going to give you the best tip. This tip is like making money on the internet, it, as long as you don't really think of it as money. Um, it, I, <laughs> I I almost expect me to be like, and it comes from listener, and they just make up a name. Right. Exactly. Uh, what happened was last week I watched Cosmopolis, which I, I think I talked about in it, it last week. Um, I hope I talked about it. It was quite interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed it as a fan of Don DeLillo's other work. Um, and so here's the trick. If you want, because this is what happened to me, if you, Graham, want to write a tweet that will be retweeted in countless times over the course of a week week and a half make sure that it is about a robert pattinson movie and say something nice (laughs) about it you don't even have to mention his name and the thing that is stunning to me is i was still getting retweets like a week later i'm like what the fuck you know so and the thing that is brilliant about this and part of why i bring it up is again i didn't even mention robert pattinson but all these people were retweeting it, and I noticed the five people who had retweeted it over the course of like three or four days or whatever, they all had Robert Pattinson uh, Twitter icons, right? 
And the thing that is amazing is if you actually click on those people to see their timeline, it's it's like that scene in Being John Malkovich, where John Malkovich goes through his own head, except it's Robert Pattinson. All these people with Robert Pattinson as their Twitter icons are talking to one another about Robert Pattinson all the time. It's phenomenal. It's like this Robert Pattinson wormhole that never ends. Um, and which is probably part of why I was still getting like tweets like four days after that even. It's amazing. So that's my advice to you. If you really want to master the social media, there is an infinite hall of mirrors that will bounce your tweet around until tens of millions of people have seen it. Unfortunately, um, all those people have Robert Pattinson icons. I am going to see that, Jeff, and raise it by how to do that without actually using Twitter or mentioning Robert Pattinson at all. <laughs> okay, if, you have me intrigued. If, for example, you find yourself working for Time. Right, for example. And you find yourself working for a Time tech blog. Right. And say a year ago, you write a piece about Twitter. Oh, man. Imagine that you will, the year later. I mean, really, I've not worked for Techland for a year now. Yeah. You will still be seeing quotes from that article tweeted, not at you, quotes, then with like, bye, and then your Twitter name. Wow. Solidly. There is not, I would say I would see one at least every two days. No kidding. Yeah. Well, well played, sir. I bow toward the master. <laughs> so basically, talk about, hey, if you talked about Robert Pattinson using Twitter, you'd probably be golden. See, this is kind of what I thought. But the thing that's amazing is, although those guys, see, this is where I think it really worked. If I talked about Robert Pattinson, they wouldn't have cared because I think all those people are experts on RPAT. You know what I mean? But if you talk about something that Robert Pattinson has been in and you actually suggest that it's just a good product, they are so eager to justify it, you know, in the real world They're as like, opposed yes, to Robert Pattinson's world. Yes, I, I was stunned. Like four or five people. I was, huh? you know, and, and multiple retweets. Just stunning to me. Stunning to me. So... That's spectacular. I'm very happy about it. Yeah, that. I thought you would be pleased. But really, it was just the amazing Hall of Malkoviches, uh, by which I mean Robert Pattinson's. That was just stunning to me. Uh, just amazing. That makes me happy. Yeah, I was, I was hoping you'd like it. So, that being said, questions. We've got to do the questions. Let's go questions. Yes. Dave Clark asks, is it fair to say that half the appeal of superhero comics is getting to talk about and or bitch about them with your friends? Yes. Uh, well, I would I would say... I'm not sure half. Uh, you know, honestly, well, see, here's the thing. Back when I was a kid, it was more like 0% or 5% if you're willing to count your imaginary friends, which is probably part of why it's such a big appeal now. But sometimes... I do wonder if, oh no, it just goes back to that superhero comics are sports teams things. You know what I mean? Half of the enjoyment is in watching the game. Half of the enjoyment is in talking to your buddies and, and basically talking shit about the game. So Okay, then. He also asks, loyal whatnots, <coughs> forward to more 2008 discussion in 2013. 
mm. hey, Fendi, if you listen to what Jeff said like 20 minutes ago, you know you will. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I've i been enjoying it tremendously. Dave, good on you for getting that digital uh, subscription. I'm sure it will be coming, coming around. This second string of stories after everything that was running uh, in the Cold Deck stuff and running concurrent with Cold Deck doesn't quite strike me as... Um, as, it's, the, it's the ebb and flow, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. It's an ebb and flow. That's what I'm thinking. So I'm just like, okay, I'll hang out and see what comes next. It's not really killing me. Um, but yeah, it's not really grabbing me by the well, One of the things that's prob- problematic about the current state of 2080 is all of them are long-running strips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, Savage has been running. I mean, Savage first appeared like way back at the start of 2080, back when it was Invasion. Well, it seems like so, it. You know, Strontium dogs from the seventies as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, and I think a lot of it is a lot of value for fans is re- like recognizing them and and the nostalgia from when you first read them, right? As opposed to, I think before that, you had stuff that was really story based. Well, um, yeah, I, I'll take your word for that. I'll take your word for that because I I did somehow I got hooked on like who's the the roman gladiator it's basically the comic conan comic but with the roman gladiator with the eagle on his chest like aguila or something like that or you know i kind of dig that i'm sort of like it seems like a relatively recent idea i seem it's only assume it's only been around for a couple of years right do you know what the the red seas one you mean the no the who's the the book that it's not in the current arc, but I, oh, it's I said, not current arc. Okay. yeah, but in uh, the previous issues, you know, he's the, I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm he was like the Roman it. centurion who, who like saw Christ die. And then he got the Eagle on his chest because, Oh, cause he was crucified next to Christ maybe. And he I'm sold his soul to a God of vengeance. Yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those things where honestly <laughs> half 2080 stuff, once you describe it a lot, you know, out loud, it's like, you know, it's the guy who can't, who can never die, who is crabby, who like hits people. And it's like, okay, but is he hitting ghosts? Then it's one guy. <laughs> if he's, is he a cowboy? Then it's another guy. And if it's a Roman uh, centurion, then it's yet another guy. But, um, you know, unless it's an effete aristocratic fop, in which case it's, four to eight other guys you know so i don't know uh, uh i i let me tell you yes dave i'm looking forward to talking shit about 2000 ad i'm looking forward to it very very much dave clark also asks would you ever do a crossover episode with house astonished Ooh, i i would totally be up for that yeah i would too it, it seems i, like I imagine the scheduling would be horrendous yeah beyond horrific horrific um but i think that would be fantastic i just you know i also i would feel really bad uh are you doing chad nevitt's thing later this month oh god i am doing chad nevitt's thing and i still haven't written him and told him what i'm doing it on yet so i i kind of i'm sort of surprised chad nevitt hasn't fired me from his thing yet you're doing it too aren't you yes yeah but what I was going to say is I felt incredible pressure from that mm-hmm. that I did not expect. But I agreed. I was like, this will be awesome. Yeah. Writing with Chad. I love Chad stuff. This, right. you know, this is an honor. I'm really happy. And then when it came time to actually suggest a topic, 
Yikes. I was like, oh god, what do I choose? Yeah, oh, no. yeah, that's killing me. That's killing me. I gotta write him a thing. I'd be like, they're so good. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Well, and this this is also my problem is is I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, so I I know Al from Twitter and adore him, and I think that uh, Paul O'Brien, of course, I've been reading him in print forever, but I would really kind of need to sit down and listen to some episodes and just make sure that I'm up to snuff. Uh, and I'm a little intimidated because those guys are super, we'll super more smart. intimidated when you hear the podcast. Yeah, so great. Don't do it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, really? All right. Well, yeah. that's, that's terrifying. So, uh, Which is better, Glamour Puss or Holy Terror? I haven't read Holy Terror, so I'm still going to stick to Glamour Puss, which... It's probably the right answer anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, last time you guys did a question episode, Jeff promised to describe more things as chill. Is there anything Jeff has read, seen, or tasted lately that he would describe as chill? You know, I really have got to get back into that because I actually saw where someone had taken the time to, like, uh, write up my little tirade and put it on their Tumblr. And I was like, that's pretty fucking funny, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's I Listeners, you've stuck with us for so long. I think you've probably caught on. The best thing that Graham and I, I think, bring to our podcast is absolute 100% authenticity. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like the flip side of that means that we are absolutely unable to force ourselves to like <laughs> do things even though everyone would like it, you know? And I don't even really necessarily mean I'd be forcing myself to do, to, to start saying things. It just, honestly, the comic gods you know, possessed my tongue and I will have to wait for that again. About the only thing that I think that I can do is do bad Alan Moore imitations. That's about the no, only no, thing. No, no, Jeff, Jeff, do. what have you read recently that you describe as chill? Well, but see, that's it. I'm not really sure because honestly, <laughs> those issues really were chill. You don't, you really you don't know chill. what chill means anymore. Well, I don't, I, I, the part of the charm is I'm not really sure I knew what it meant then, but no, 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 no. I, I, I think, you know, it's tough to find something that hits that real sweet spot of like, oh my God, this is like so, like I saw Abraham Lincoln, uh, Vampire Hunter last night. That should have been chill, uh, but that was not chill. I would have to say that that was the anti-chill, you know, because it, it, it was, it, yeah, it was like anti-freeze, the movie. Like, I don't know, it, did you, I take it you saw uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Graham. You would take that, but you would be wrong. It's kind of a shame because, you know, the, the uh, Academy Award nominees uh, got announced just today. Uh, and I was looking at the list and part of me was like, you know, I probably don't have to see Lincoln because I saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. They know? are very similar. That's exactly what I've heard. That's what I've heard. And, you know, L Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter does go to great lengths to work in the actual history of Abraham Lincoln in you know, in the in in addition to having all the vampires in there, I don't know. You know, even with the action sequence, where I was just like, okay, I'll just watch this for the action sequences. A couple of them were good. I mean, they real. I really was. I was sitting there watching. I'm like, I'm watching Abraham Lincoln, kung fu vampires, and hit them with like a silver tipped axe. Why aren't I? What kind of? Why aren't I loving this? Um, and there's one point, there's actually... This should be good. Why isn't it good? Why isn't it good? Right. Like, why isn't it ter Why isn't it good, terrible, in a way that I appreciate good, terrible? And instead, it was just dull. And part of it was, like, the acting. Like, maybe, in theory, the actors are all good. But 
uh, not in this production. But, but they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. Well, see, this is my thing. First, I was like, okay, the guy who directed this, he's never directed another movie in English uh, that I, and so therefore he doesn't know how to act with, he doesn't know how to make, get a good performance out of actors. But he actually did Wanted, which I saw and thought that the performances in that, although not fantastic, were far up closer, far more up past the level of competent that you saw in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Also, the woman, I think it might be Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I don't know if that name's right. She's the chick who played Ramona Flowers and Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. She plays yeah, yeah, that's... She plays Mary Todd in this. I'm like, I don't I don't like that person. I that person seems to have no talent or charisma as far as I'm concerned. I must be wrong because she keeps getting work and I've only seen those those roles and maybe something else because I was looking everyone up on IMDb like how did she they get this job like lottery that everyone loves her in oh right smash with the guy from Breaking Bad right it's the guy from it's the, I think it might be the guy from Breaking yeah the guy from Breaking Bad, Breaking yeah. Bad is the uh, is the is the dude right the, that's about the two Alkies one of whom tries yeah, to clean yeah. up and the other one won't yeah yeah that I think the other guy's the Breaking Bad guy, and Cause, so because she she got amazingly good reviews for that. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I maybe, I, maybe it's like Ryan Stegman. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I just I don't like her, and then I don't like her, but then I just didn't think that she did anything well. Like she was just there, and she was just I don't know. You, you know how there are those people who like they put on period costumes and they're absolutely one hundred percent less convincing than they are in real life. Mm-hmm. That was her like i was like i don't believe anything i mean the guy playing abraham lincoln was not good either but it's it looked like he had a prosthetic nose and maybe a prosthetic soul so i don't i don't i can't really hold that i don't know they just it wasn't good there were one or two parts where i was like oh this is so chill and then then the anti-chill would just set in and linger so bad anyway that's as close as we can get. We should move on to the I, I like one. you go chill. Yeah. Jer says, Waffles, can the concept fly in other parts of the country? Or is it Portland specific for some reason? And why? I don't think it is. You you have waffles in, in San Francisco, don't you? You know, they're kind of lingering. They're kind of lingering on the, the fringes, Jer. Um, I think that is, any, in theory, I would say any place where you have a food truck culture you can have a successful waffle truck. The thing that I think Waffle Window does that makes it a success is they're able to do the savory waffles. I've not seen, with the exception of a few places that I haven't been to here, I've not seen anyone really take and run with the savory waffle concept here in San Francisco the way the Waffle Window has. And that, and I think it's the key to success. You can either get a sweet waffle or you can get a savory waffle it's kind of like crepes. Like once people figured out you could have savory crepes, then there were crepe places everywhere. But until then, it was just for lunatics who had no control over their blood sugar. You know? It also has to be said, Jeff Lester aside, no one else I know has a sweet waffle from the waffle window. What's that? You're the only person I know who actually buys sweet waffles from the waffle window. Oh, right. Everyone else gets savory. And frankly, yeah. I... Try to. I mean, I think last time was the first time I started getting actual sweet waffles, you know. Um, but that's only because I had to go above <laughs> eating two waffles. <laughs> <laughs> you had to. You had to go above. I had to. Waffles. I had to have two savory waffles and then anything else I wanted above that. I. But yeah, no. See, exactly. So I think. The uh, no, I, I, I think, yeah, I think you could, you could do a mobile waffle window. Yeah. 
But the uh, trick is in doing Southern savory. California. I think yeah. you would just have to make a point of having really good savory waffles. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. So, um, yes. He also says, I'd like to know what comics media you guys generally consume daily, weekly, monthly. Obviously, you read Bleeding Cool at times. What about the comics journal online, etc.? Mm, yeah. Uh, why don't you answer this one first, Grant? Because I think it will be fascinating for everyone. Um, oh, God. I read I read as much as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, daily, I read Bleeding Cool. I read the comics journal. I read um, iFanboy. Um, I say read. I mean, I check out and see if there's anything I want to read. Right. Uh, but I, I do it. I do it in two ways. I do it as a reader and as someone trying to find something to link to as well. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what I read for fun. I read the Tomorrow's magazines. Oh yeah. Yeah, I get. I generally, if there's there's good articles in there, I'll generally get the digital versions, which are like two pounds, mm -hmm. uh, two dollars rather. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I download those. I'm a big fan of uh, Alter Ego, Roy Thomas's magazine, mm -hmm. and the Kirby Collector. Mm. I'm really looking forward to the fact that Comic Book Artist is coming back uh, mm -hmm. with a new name. Mm. I, th I think John Cook has just ditched Comic Artist, Comic Book Artist as a, a brand after the complete debacle that was the Top Shelf publication. Um, oh yeah? yeah, what happened there? He's coming. He's coming back with the Comic Book Creator, mm. which seems uh, in, in March, and it's uh, it starts off with a Kirby issue. That also has uh, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross mm -hmm. talking about their careers, which I think would be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what else do I read? I, I read as much as I can. Too busy thinking about my comics. I love. Mm, yeah, too busy thinking about. Uh, Ooh, oh, Danny Boy, I really like. The Beat, I read all mm -hmm. the time. Um, House Astonish, I listen to. I listen to House Astonish. I listen to uh, Word Balloon. Mm hmm. I listen to God. What's the the comic books are burning in hell? Yes. Yeah. Ooh, um, listen to that. Wow. Yeah. It, if I as much as I can, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, you really do listen to you. See, and this is again one of our little I, goofus and gallant. You're going to be like, and I I do nothing. <laughs> I do very little. I went through a period where I used to follow a whole bunch of stuff pretty religiously, and then. I just got really burnt out on comics news and comics. I don't want to say I got burnt out on comics criticism, although what I found was there sort of seemed to be a split. Like there seemed to be a real, a lot of the stronger academic stuff seemed to, to go in the direction of Euro comics where I just kind of wasn't interested in. So um, let me see. So I read... Uh, Ba, 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 ba. I read Factual Opinion over at the Comics Journal Online. Um, and as an offshoot of that, I'm usually, you know, I uh, followed uh, Comics of the Week over at Factual Opinion before it jumped over there. Uh, I follow both Abhay's and um, Abhay's Tumblr because he occasionally writes about comics and stuff just there very quickly. You're talking about Tumblr's the naked ad like another 20. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. And then Tumblr's kick in. In fact, when you, you mentioned too busy thinking about my comics, um, Colin's Tumblr, I just recently, he just started linking to it in his Twitter feed. And I adore that where he has various comic panels and various famous quotes or not even necessarily famous quotes, but 
you know, just these brilliant pairings of like. I haven't seen that, and I'm totally gonna have to. Look oh yeah, it. you gotta you gotta get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think it might be called, uh, uh, you know, it's the acronym TBAMC two, I think, or something like that. But uh, yeah, definitely find him on Twitter. He's got the link. He's been linking to it. I adore that. Um, too busy thinking about my comics, of course. Savage Critic. Um, you know, whenever I find Hibbs actually is incredibly highly readable. Uh, and I say that not just as someone who uh, uh, is a friend of his and also gets into fights with him, but just as someone that I really um, enjoy how he writes and the opinions that he has. And John Kane too. I, I'm so grateful that we have John Kane on the site. I think he's awesome. Um, I'll read Sean Witzke on anything. I mean, I just read him uh, uh, over the factual opinion. They're doing their best albums of the year. And I read him uh, on write, on albums that I haven't even listened to, maybe even from artists I haven't even heard of and still enjoyed it. Um, I still read the beat, although I kind of feel kind of bleh about it. Um, in fact, I'm so close to sort of dropping the beat from my RSS feed because I just feel like it's, there's not much there there. In fact, it was interesting to me. I think it sort of got a second pass after the Tom Spurgeon uh, interview with Heidi, um, where I kind of felt where, I don't know, just Heidi seemed a, a, a little more sort of sharp and on the ball about things in a way that she tends not to seem so much about on her own site, I think. And I know that she's outsourced her site she hasn't outsourced her site. She's hired a lot of other writers um, who I think have varying degrees of interesting things to say. Um, and I don't really, I don't, it, I, you know, but it, nothing really strikes me as especially new. Um, I think that we're still a long ways. A lot of websites that I seem to follow seem to be in the habit of complaining about bleeding cool, but not while still remaining not nearly as committed to trying to do something interesting with comics news, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of sites that just sort of tend to regurgitate. Robot six is great, but I don't follow them anymore. I don't know why, but I, I think JK and everyone over there does tremendous work. I read you at blog at news That's definitely, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I think I just ultimately went through a period where for whatever reason, I really got into my own realm and I started chasing stuff. Also, the great thing about Twitter is it's a great way for when something of note is really strong and people link to it, you have a good chance of catching it. So Yeah, there, there's so much. That's the problem. It's, the comics internet these days is so exhausting mm -hmm. that you almost do have to depend on social media to be like, okay, you know, if I miss something, then I'll find out about it. Right. So I'll find out about and, stuff. And so you don't way. really have to pay attention because you will, like, if something's great, then mm -hmm. you'll find out better. Yeah. Which, Equally, if something's terrible, but you want to pay attention to it because it's terrible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and there's a variety of guys. Actually, certainly there's some manga guys and anime guys that I follow. Um, the guy who uh, who does the Ain't It Cool News anime, um, his Twitter feed I find uh, incredibly useful and helpful in terms of having all sorts of interesting stuff similarly uh deb aoki and bridget alverson their twitter feeds are full of great links to stuff that i would not be i i wouldn't know about if not for them so um yeah i don't know just a little bit of just a little bit of everywhere without having to really 
pay much attention to anywhere in specific. I have to You're, say, um, Tom Spurgeon's Comics Reporter is doing their his holiday interviews, which are running long, are fantastic this year. I was around. just about to say that the mm -hmm. Mark Wade one that just went up. Oh, I haven't read that yet. Uh, he Mark Wade reveals literally the what if that I wish I could go back and change time to make happen. Oh yeah. Mark Wade five years ago almost took over the editor in chief job of DC Comics. Ah. Uh. Wow. Five years ago. And why didn't he do it? I'm kind of curious because he was already he says, a boom. He says things fell through. Oh, shit, man. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Fuck. Between that and Bob Harris, like what a different world that would have been. I huh? know. Exactly. Right. Wow. Wow. It's, it's great. It's a great interview. Uh, yeah. The people who are listening to this, if you haven't already gone and read it, because by this by the time you're hearing this, it'll be like a week old. Um, Tom Spurgeon's interview with Mark Wade is spectacular. His, really, really, really great stuff. His interview with Sean Howe is fantastic. His interview yeah, with he's, Heidi he's McDonald's. Had really good great. interviews this year. Yeah, he's really, really great batch. Uh, Jake Caleb um, Mosico's um, interview was, I thought, really strong. Um, I thought that was great. I, that's one where I keep seeing quotes from that popping around like a couple of weeks after. So let's uh, – uh, should we move on with a um... – Sure. Let's. I was going to say just very quickly, I completely forgot to say um, fourth letter on imdbrothers.com. Yes. Actually, actually are, absolutely. Are really great. And also, mm -hmm. I, I have no idea why I am loving Matt Fraction's Tumblr right now. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Really enjoying it. Really getting a lot of it. That's mattfraction.com. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, I always end up – I always – Matt Fraction's one of those dudes where it's like I I can't I don't understand why I don't like his work considering his tastes are so immaculate you know he's just got a great eye for stuff and of course he's also like he's also maybe one of the best Twitterers out there you know I'm really stunned by the number of times where I see him retweeted in all sorts of contexts and I'm like oh my god that's a brilliant tweet and then of course it turned out to be Fraction just wish he were God, he just like I really don't understand why he's not like knocking me, you know, just knocking the jaw off my face uh, with everything that he does, and yet somehow it doesn't. It doesn't. Is it to you or is it him? It's prob probably me. Except I don't quite understand why. If it's probably me, why do I appreciate like stuff on his Tumblr or his Twitter so often and not his work? You know what I mean? Like it's never. I mean, that being said, I there might be some point of it that is me because i don't follow his tumblr or his twitter so you know i just kind of wait for stuff to surface and get retweeted re or whatever so it's probably me but mm, <laughs> after what you said about that fantastic four issue three i think steve says yeah he is what surprised you positively or negatively in the comics industry in 2012 hmm. i actually i don't know because surprised is what's throwing me off yeah, well, I don't know. You know, honestly, uh, before Watchmen kind of surprised me. Wow. It's one of those things that I'm like, I, you know, it's totally not a surprise. I'm really cynical, but before Watchmen it surprised me. Mm. It's existence. I mean, not the books. <coughs> right. Uh, yeah. Before Watchmen was a surprise. I think. I think. How do I put it? I really would have thought after the successful launch of the new Fifty Two that DC was not going to shit the bed so thoroughly <laughs> with relation with regards to creator 
uh, talent communication. Jeff Lester. I know. Call me a sunny side optimist, but no, even that, that, that's just yeah. That's history has shown. Yeah. That whenever DC is in a position of power, they will very quickly fuck it up. Yeah. No. Well, true. I guess I was I was really surprised. I was expecting it to be a year two slash year three fuck up, not like pretty much by the end of the year and stumbling yeah, like into year three, two. Like three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it just killed me. Um, and then, are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh, good, because you went quiet for a second, and I'm like, ah, okay, I want to make sure that we wouldn't, you know. It was just me cutting you off, not the internet cutting you off. Uh, uh, And then a positive surprise, there's got to be more, you know, honestly, that there, that talents, that basically that there's so much talent out there that is beginning to leak out. You know, I I think that, um, I think the emergence of, licensed titles like um my little pony and adventure time uh that are selling well and getting such accolades and appear to be really like good books i think i think the overall we're at a period where the overall quality of the work that's coming out of the industry is good when it's being given enough time to be good i guess and I yeah. think I think it, that's why I think the the negative side, which is that stuff is just the the big two are just so quickly squeezing stuff out of their ass that it's a miracle that it's readable, frankly, you know. And I wish that that was not the equation. Uh, my positive is Image Comics and creator owned seeming to like be successful again. I guess mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. I felt like it, that was validated by the sales in a way that it hasn't been in a few years and i that that's always happy you yeah. know seeing things like that. monkey brain was a, a really positive surprise actually i didn't know it was going to happen i didn't know anything about it and then i i like some of my favorite things i'm reading these days are monkey brain yeah that's true too that's true too so yeah i'm, I'm gonna give i'm gonna give that one to monkey brain any predictions for 2013 he also asks you must have one graham a prediction for 2013 I'm really not sure if I do. Hmm. Uh, a prediction for 2013. Let's see. I don't know, because I think it would just be more of the same, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think it's going to be more of the same until there's some sort of weird tipping point, And I don't know where that's going to be. Um, and honestly, I don't think it's necessarily going to come. There's going to be some sort of weird potential fracturing, but I don't and it may not even really seem to be that something that will be that big at the time that it happened and it's only going to be in retrospect it's going to be like oh and this is the year that either i don't know creators like walked away from you know the big two on mass or it's going to be this is the year that essentially the creators walked away from social media on mass because they were tired of dealing with donkey dicks on the internet, but I almost feel like it's going to be something like that. Just because I see. I really felt like tensions were running really high for the second half of 2012 in both those regards. You know? Colbert asks, or Colbert, I just say Colbert because I'm, I think Stephen immediately now, uh, opinions on best inkers for Kirby and Steve Ditko inking Kirby. I don't think I've 
ever seen Steve Ditko in Kirby. I mean, I guess I must have, but I can't think of anything. Yeah, when when did he do that? Was that a? I don't. Hmm. I don't. Yeah, I, I I think you may have definitely stumped me on that one, Colbert. Uh, let's break it in two parts. Um, Kirk, best inkers on Kirby, uh, definitely Vince Coletta. No, I. You know. <laughs> Mike Royer, right? You know, Sinnott... I, I, I really... Sinnott and Royer. Sinnott and Royer. I think that's really got to be it. Although, gosh, who was it who also did some really nice work on Kirby? But it wasn't that often. Like, what, like uh, Dick Ayers or like... Oh, what? So, yeah, someone definitely does some Thor stuff that's amazing. Is it Bill Everett? Does Bill Everett ink Kirby and Thor? Maybe. That would surprise me. Maybe it's... You know, I'm, I know I'm thinking of... Wally, didn't Wally Wood ink Kirby on... Something I would keep. I keep seeing Daredevil, which I think is wrong because I think that was Wood, unless Wood was drawing over Kirby layouts. He probably was. Yeah, yeah. In any event, uh, but yeah, uh, apart from a few, you know, dudes here and there, I think I think Sinnott and uh, Roy are the ones who who really take the take take the crown. And then as for Steve Ditko inking Kirby again, I had that moment of like. Did Kirby do the layouts for Hulk? Because, you know, Ditko did follow Kirby on Hulk afterward, and it's a very weird title in that regard. I, um, I have no idea. I'd love... Uh, yeah, Colbert or Colbert, or however I should be pronouncing your name, and I'm sorry that I'm probably butchering it. Um, tell us when Steve Ditko and Kirby. I'm really curious. Yeah, that would be kind of fascinating. Uh, I really... That would be great. And, of course, this is... this is We're going to put this up and, like, 20 people will be like, it was in, you know, really obvious Yeah, yeah the complete, the like, you idiots. Yeah, exactly. Um, A.L. Barroza says, in light of the Sean Howe book and the brief discussion here a few podcasts back over the light... over just what it is that a comics editor does these days, what do you two consider a good or effective example of comics editing for big two corporate superhero IP? Uh, well, I don't know if it's still the case. If it wasn't for the fact that he's kind of a psychopath who's terrible with handling the fans, I Steve Wacker gets seems to do really good books, you know. Yeah, and see, I think what he does really well is he manages to get creators who have an affinity with the character, but not so much affinity that they are slavishly recreating what has gone before. Yeah. Um, and encourage a certain amount of innovation yeah exactly i mean I he definitely the thing, it's knowing the balance of how much to push and how much to just grab hold of yeah and embrace yeah yeah i think so i think so too so he really stands up but i have to admit i'm not i'm not paying too much attention to the current guys weren't we talking about a couple of weeks ago about how i sort of realized how denny o'neill at the batman titles in the 90s was kind of amazing like i'm starting to think slash realize i mean from what i've read i mean the stuff that they were doing didn't really like you know fry my burger but kind of looking back at how much like there's so there's a whole nother stage of the batman mythology that seemed to grow in the 90s as a result of letting chuck dixon david grayson and greg rucka getting all those guys in on on bat books you know with yeah. you know and and really sort of nurturing them along and developing their talent and also developing and expanding the mythology more you know but not only that also developing long runs on titles mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which are a thing of the past now obviously but 
Right. You know, Dixon was on Robin for 100 issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, I think, in a superhero title, that can be a really good thing. I think so, too. It's one of those, like, weird... Uh, it, it, it It is a potentially a curse, but I think generally more often than not, it can be a very, very good thing. Um, you know, it certainly worked well with Claremont, with Peter David's long run on Hulk, I think, was very sensible. In fact, Peter David's had a really long run on X-Factor now, which is kind of stunning in this day and age, don't you think? Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, that... Especially if you consider that, I mean... He must have done over 100 issues of X-Factor now, right? Uh, if you add up his original and his new runs. I was about to say, then definitely. But, I mean, I think he's been doing it for a while, like a long time now. Just on this second incarnation, I would think that he's, he's, he's got to be. Yeah, he's got to have been doing it for 70-odd issues. Yeah, at least. So, I mean, that's, that's that's again, that's another kind of stunning achievement. Um, not And not just so much, I think, for, for David, although it is... But the editor who is leaving well enough alone to to not rock that boat and realize they can get, you know, that they've hit whatever sweet spot that they've got and they're not going to rock it. I think that's remarkable. So um, so I, I can we see knowing when to back off is also a good. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that is absolutely it. Like knowing when to back off is great. And then just being able to, you know, if you've got pros it seems like backing off. And if you've got new people knowing sort of when to step in and sort of, I think, push them and help shape them, I think would be great. So. Jay Smitty asks, what do you think of the new Keisha record? Yay, Jay Smitty. Uh, I tried listening to it on Spotify and accidentally started a radio station and heard a bunch of old Britney Spears tunes and drew a negative conclusion from that. Graham? (laughs) I actually have not heard the new Keisha record, but based on the other Keisha records I've heard, I'm willing to say I probably would not be a massive fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Mrs. Squirrel is talking about Almer and Rape again. Jerry Smith, Spider-Man, Ditko or Romita? Ditko. 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 That's, that's hilarious because I'm like, Romita. <laughs> <laughs> There's the essential dichotomy of this podcast. Right, right there. there. No kidding. Well, see, it's tough because Romita, I love Romita's drawing. His his art is, it's not his, I don't, his art on a panel, like just looking at it is gorgeous. Oh my God. There's just, and his design work for the Marvel bullpen. Romita is a giant as far as a designer and an illustrator goes. But I think his his panel-by-panel panel storytelling is mild at best. I just don't think that's his strength. Well, compared compare with Ditko, definitely. Well, yeah, so, I mean, there you go. I, I, I mean, my, no, my my love for Ditko, is, for Romita, rather, is entirely irrational. My preference is entirely based upon the fact that when I started reading Spider-Man, mm-hmm. it was closer to the Romita style. Right. And so to me, that is Spider-Man. I mean, if you're asking me Ditko or Romita as an artist, sure, I'd probably go for Ditko. But in terms of Spider-Man, I go with Romita because that's closer to my Spider-Man. See, this is interesting because, of course, for me, as you know, Ross Andrew is is my Spider-Man and is much closer to Romita. And so it's, it's almost like, as I think I've mentioned, like a bajillion times, sort of in the same way when I was young and I read Kirby stuff and it kind of put me off and I actually like the softer derivative stuff more like you know the Basimas. I found that for me this 
the true strength, the true strength of the artist is how they were able to pull me in, despite me not even really liking their stuff at first. So I remember sitting down with reading like uh, the old color paperback reprints of Spider-Man that were drawn by Ditko and me having this thing of like, these aren't very good and they're drawn funny and it just looks bad and everyone's ugly. And I said that each of the 37 times I read that fucking book, you know, because because the storytelling just drew me back in again and again and again and again and again. I think, you know, there's that that one issue where Spider-Man fights a robot at his school that is dumb and is probably one of my favorite issues ever. And, and so much of that is because Ditko is astonishing. So, yeah, for me, unfortunately, I totally see your point, Graham. But to me, Ditko kind of trump, trumps everything just because just because just for my reaction of like I started reading it and then to read his whole run. Oh my God! By the end of it, I'm like, it's br- be- what it evolves into is astounding. So yeah, sorry. No need to apologize. Do you buy four dollar comics? I do. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. What yeah. What is the highest price you would pay for twenty two to thirty two page floppy? Well, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah. I because I, I, it's gotten to the point now where I'm aware of four dollar comics. Right. But I'm far less aware of them uh, than I was like a year ago, even. Mm. Yeah, no, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. Um, hey. I think I'd I think I'd have a problem with five dollars. But you know, ask me again when Brandon Graham is doing a five dollar thirty-two page comic, right? Or when Kevin Huizenga is, or whatever. You know, I I, yeah. I it would entirely depend on the creator. If it was like justice league i can't see myself paying five dollars but then i'm not sure i could have seen myself paying four dollars yeah see i think and i think that's kind of where the split is is for me of course if it's a certain creator then yeah i will i will run you know right up the price very quickly when you get to the stuff of the big two it gets more problematic for me i mean you know um of course i'm not currently buying the marvel stuff I think it's quite entirely possible that Mar- that DC could put out a 22-page Batman book for $5 that I would buy, but it would have to be a phenomenal team doing a phenomenal run, you know? Um, as far as the big two stuff goes, it, it, I, I do buy some, three, some 399 DC comics, and I tend not to pay attention. But what I do is I just buy far fewer of them, you know? Uh, and I think that, again, that's part of the problem with it can be part of the problem with the comics market is, you know, when prices go up from two ninety nine to three ninety nine, the market runs a huge risk of becoming more homogenized because all of a sudden people are buying literally buying less comics and experimenting more. Um, the industry, you know, honestly, Saga at two ninety nine is I mean, not only is it a st- I, I would pay 399 for saga gladly uh but the fact that i'm paying 299 for it really does reinforce this feeling of like this is a a fantastic book i'm getting my money's worth i'm getting beyond my money's worth you know he also says karen berger as head of creative development at image comics please Mm. consider and comment yeah i we've i feel like we've bounced around this twice i honestly think that um it wouldn't happen because image is so decentralized as far as yeah I can tell. that's what i was gonna say it seems like a bad idea because it seems like a waste of karen berger yeah 
Karen Berger needs to be at some place that is focused. Um, and whether that place is someplace like IDW, uh, whether it's someplace like, like I said, like suddenly if Kirkman wanted to do Skybound with like a larger degree of um, creator freedom and, a, you know, a, a, a more slack hand as far as uh, the, the property deals. I think I think that might work, but yeah, I, unfortunately, her her image I don't think is going to work. So, M Bunge asks the internet: the future of comic books or comic strips? It seems to me that the web is not really a delivery or economic format that lends itself to producing a blob of words and art once a month slash two months slash whenever lazy ass pros or guys who have real to work real jobs to support the comics hobby can squeeze some work out. Yeah, I, I I disagree. I think digital comics are are fine. I like you know Double Barrel and and Bandit and Amelia Cole. Yeah, but are well, I feel like he's talking about the web. So I could be wrong. I feel like he's talking about web comics as opposed to digital comics. Okay then, go Jeff Lester. <laughs> You're like, all right, asshole, go. I don't, I don't know. I, I, because I, so to me, I thought you were going to tackle it with Thrill Bent because Thrill Bent is, you know, comics on the web. I feel that, that aren't being, you know, that you read on the web before you get to that pre digital stage, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. I, certainly my favorite comics tend to be on the internet, tend to be strip comics, but I think that's just because. I'm not so crazy about the interface. Honestly, I think there's a good chance with with some of the developing HTML5 standards, we'll get to a point where someone can deliver deliver something like what Thrillbent's trying to deliver, you know, like a larger chunk of comics, you know, a satisfying chunk that it, but in a way that is not kind of so awkward and gangly to deal with. Not that I think Thrillbent's that awkward, but it still it still doesn't quite it's, it's feel like just it. It's a little bit hinky. It, yeah. It's, it, it's it's here's the thing. If you're using it on an iPad, I find it much preferable to the web interface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's not. It, I don't know. There there is some. I know what you mean. There's something hinky about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think there is something that's not quite there, and because it's not, um, you know, I don't think that. I think the problem with the internet is it, you know, in a way it can do so much. And so I feel like people don't want to, as long as you're taking all the bells and whistles of the internet away and you're just delivering comics, it seems like at that point you get super stripped down, you know, comic strips, I guess, you know, for mm -hmm. a shorter, you know, pretty yeah, much it, it's, on a page. Yeah, it seems to work much better for like the humor comics format or the shorter comics format, mm -hmm. but you can get it all at once as opposed to the problem with Thrillbent or the, the Rocka Lady Saber yeah. is I just don't have the patience. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. getting so little at a time. Yeah. And you have, there's so much effort in getting through that little. Yeah. Yeah. That it just it feels like it's throwing up reasons for you not to read, as opposed to making it easy for you to read. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, for shorter stuff, I think it's great. I think there's an awful lot of web comics that are are really enjoyable mm -hmm. that could not have found an audience otherwise. Mm -hmm. But for long form material, I don't think it's sustainable. <coughs> yeah, it's very tough. The only way you can do it is if maybe if someone does a high rate like um, uh, Tom Scioli. Uh, you know, he did American Barbarian all on the web, 
and he did um that fantastic world's greatest comic what the hell was that called um but it helps if you kind of find out about it once he's like 50 pages into a 60 page or 70 page story because even someone putting up pages as fast as tom scioli does they're still sort of when it's one page per day and that page is definitely like a comic book page like just having one day where what you're getting is in between the beats of something it can really it can that can kind of kill you so yeah it really does it has a lot to do with with what you can deliver in one page at one go um which is why i think the continuity strips are, are picking up you know i am going to claim that mike walker's uh, collection of questions is where we're breaking for today oh. i think by the way we will finish next time yeah i think so god bless um mike walker the make your own waffle station at the complimentary at uh, the hotel complimentary breakfast good idea or bad idea a uh, great idea uh i mean no the, terrible idea what what well okay so here's my thing Grant. Waffle. i want someone to make waffles for me what the hell well okay but see agreed but when it's at the hotel complimentary breakfast usually the waffles are not that great so it only works if you can take some of the other stuff like some of the breakfast cereals and work them in. put it in there yeah yeah so so yeah it has to, it has to be make your own because otherwise it just doesn't work uh what's your opinion on bagels love them are frozen bagels out of the question yeah for me i think Fruity cream cheese or regular cream cheese? Oh, regular cream cheese and closer to savory cream cheese. I just never get the fruity cream cheese thing. Describe your ideal bagel. Ooh, I'll describe three. Uh, so there's the my ideal Los Angeles bagel, which is if you go to Cantor's Deli on Fairfax um, and you get – oh, God, how did it work? You get a regular bagel toasted with cream cheese then you put strawberry jam on it then you order a side of scrambled eggs and then you put the scrambled eggs on top of the strawberry jam and the cream cheese on top of the toasted bagel and you eat that open open faced um that's awesome los bagels god my mouth was watering while i was saying that los bagel los bagels up in humboldt county is one of my favorite uh, places in the world. Um, and they have some amazing bagels there. If you can get a jalapeno bagel and you get that toasted with the cream cheese and their guacamole, which is fantastic, and the fresh sliced uh, Bermuda onion, unbelievably good. And then, frankly, um, you can pretty much do the same with like an onion bagel toasted and... Um, regular cream cheese locks and again to me the red onion is crucial fantastic i should also mention bergen street bagels which ironically enough uh i had a bunch of while i was in new york not the bagels at bergen street bagels but the the bergen street bagels branch in brooklyn has unbelievably good fresh baked bagels even when you order them delivered they are fucking fantastic I think you did a spectacular job with that question. <laughs> Thank you, Ralph. Uh, I'm also pro-bagel. I do not like cream cheese at all. Uh, and my ideal bagel is actually just really simply, I like a good cinnamon raisin bagel. Oh, oh okay. So give, you're Give me a good sweet. cinnamon raisin and like just some butter and I am a happy man. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of feel that way. Again, not 
but like if you toast an onion bagel and then you give me the butter and the but the butter actually melts into it after it's yeah, toasted. Yeah, that's totally. so good. Yeah. Uh, there is a bagel food truck in Portland because hello Portland. That is really really great. I can't yep. remember the name of it. Everyone in Portland is on Forty Third and Belmont. Go and get your bagels from there because they do really good bagels. Mm, I'll have to try it next time I'm up. Uh, what was your most successful cleanse? Asks Mike Walker. Oh, man. Uh, he also says, can we organize a Weight Watch Cleanse Week? Uh, Mike, Jeff and I are both on cleanses right now. It's true. This we, is our cleanse week. As we speak, exactly. This is not my most successful cleanse at the moment, I have to say, because I had some Splenda in my coffee, and then yesterday I had croutons on my salad that I should have ignored, but I ate because I was dying. Um, Graham? How are we defining successful cleanse? I guess successful to me is more like when you're sticking to it and then afterwards when you're done, there's a degree of like you feel good and you feel like you sort of eat better as opposed to those times when you come off the cleanse and you immediately order pizza. Or, and or that you just cheat all the way through the cleanse. Here's the thing. I don't cheat on cleanse. This is the only cleanse that I've actually ever cheated on. I, I have to say this cleanse this time around where I've had little bits of, um, you know, again, the, the bread uh, and the Splenda this morning and then a little bit of chocolate. I'm trying to think when I had that. So. I see. I couldn't cheat on cleanse because then I'd feel terrible. Yeah. Well, like I'd, I'd really feel like I'd let myself down. No, yeah. it's, it's not even like I really believe in cleanse. But right. I would. I'd feel I'd be like, oh, fuck. What's well, because it is. It's like, There's why did I put all this work on we cheated by ending the cleanse early. Ah, uh, see. Because right. both Ken and I were like, oh, we're going to kill someone. Yeah, see. and that... Like, the mailman's going to come to the door and say, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have this package, but I dented the side of it, and we would just, like, kill him. <laughs> and so so we were like, yeah, we have to we have to stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah. So I think that's, you would not define that as a successful cleanse. But all my other cleanses, even the ones where you're doing the master cleanse, which is far more intense, to me, far more intense than the cleanse that I'm currently on. Um, those I didn't cheat on. And those, I don't know, those uh, those have such pluses and minuses, you know? Like, I would say that they're my most successful because I definitely think that first time where I went 10 days without having any food but that horrible, horrible fucking juice and you have just stuff flying out of your behind um as horrible as all of that is at the end of it not only did i feel like i really accomplished something but it really did change my relationship to food in 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 a positive way and so that to me that's always going to be my most successful cleanse i i honestly could not tell actually i think my most successful cleanse was my first cleanse mm -hmm. uh just because i felt significantly better after it you felt better and you know honestly i swear graham maybe it was around that time anyway but I definitely think as someone who keeps half an eye on your eating habits, you know, when we see each other, it seems like it opened up the spectrum of what you of what you eat as well. I think that was happening anyway. I think yeah. it's one of those things that I wouldn't have been able to do the cleanse if that wasn't happening. Right, right. Uh, so I don't think it was the cleanse itself that did that. But, you know, they, they both came from a, a similar place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's let's lump them together. Sure. Some, so at some point, Kate is going to hear this podcast and just kill herself laughing. <laughs> Um, can we organize a Weight Walk Cleanse Week? No. I don't know, man. If everyone else is willing no. to join us, that would be a great fundraiser. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, God. 
Yeah, that's that's not gonna happen. Okay. That's, no, Jeff. Uh, are you looking forward to a podcast when you aren't asking answering questions? Possibly sometime in twenty fourteen. <laughs> I kind of like this half doing questions, half not thing. I do too. I kind of do. I have to admit. Uh, it. That's good because we're gonna be doing it next yeah, week. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was your favorite Dave Clark question? Dave Clark being the questions that we started with this time, Jeff. Oh, was it? Uh, let me see. Let's jump up. Which here. were, um, is it fair to say that half the appeal of superhero comics is getting to talk about them with your friends? Oh, right. Can loyal whatnots look forward to more 20, uh, 2080 discussion 2013? Would you ever do a crossover episode with House Astonish? Which is better, Glamour Puss or Holy Terror? Hmm. You know, I I actually enjoyed... Oh, and of course he has the 2000 AD. I don't know. A lot of good Dave Clark questions. I, I like them all. Of course, I generally like Dave Clark as well. I think he's he's a good egg. So I, I'm going to say my favorite isn't the question, but his uh, request for more chill. Yeah. And my least favorite, uh, which is better, Glamour Puss or Holy Terror, because it made me think about Holy Terror. That is true. Yeah, I thought that was kind of unfair. So... <laughs> And with that, listeners, you reached the end of the latest pulse-pounding episode. So true. So true. Oh, uh, wait, what? Yeah. We will be back uh, next week um, to answer more questions. I think by that point, I so want to get to the store because they got, you know, Hips got a copy of Shaco in, and I'm dying to get my hands on that thing and read it. Make it happen, Jeff. Make it happen. It's a giant fucking bear, Jeff. Dude, that's wanted by the CIA. Everything. The only thing that can make me happier is Hookjaw, because Hookjaw is, is stunning to me. Hookjaw, yes. I find. <laughs> I find Hookjaw, like, perfect, because it is both amazing and terrifying and hilarious and, like I said, terrifying to me in a way. All in one package. Yeah, exactly. All in one package. That That's kind of like my comic book. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be listening to Jeff talk about Polar Bear Wanted by the CIA. <laughs> I'll be answering more of your questions. Yes, yes, indeed. We'll see you then, everyone. Be safe, drive carefully, cross your seatbelts. Bye! <laughs> I don't know why I went all PSA there, but I did. <laughs>